People don't care what you know until they know that you care. And when they know that you care, they will start responding and they will feel safe enough to show you their true meaning. Hello, I am Wendy Grounds and welcome to Manage This Podcast. This is the show by project managers for project managers. And with me in the studio is a familiar voice, Bill Yates. Hi, Wendy. Good to be here. You may notice that Nick Walker is not in the room. He was here for the first 100 episodes and Nick was actually, he acquired so much knowledge as a project manager. He's taken a new gig as a project manager. Just kidding. He has retired and he has moved closer to family so he can be with his grandkids and he and his wife can spoil. I think he actually mentioned he was project managing a wedding coming up. <laughs> that's so, true. Yeah, he's using those skills. Yes, that's absolutely true. You know, Bill, we've all had those difficult conversations, those conversations where the stakes are high and everyone has a different opinion and then emotions get involved. Well, on this episode, we're talking about just those conversations, crucial ones, and our guest, Carrie Woods, is going to describe to us how facts and stories drive our emotions and how we can move from those crucial conversations to getting results. Carrie is an author, speaker, master trainer, and executive coach as well as a certified platinum level Vital Smarts trainer in Crucial Conversations. Carrie, welcome to Manage This. We're so glad you could join us today. Thank you. Thank you so much. It is absolutely fantastic to be here today. We're happy to have you. Could you just tell us what brought you into this line of work and what makes you passionate about it? Absolutely. About 14 years ago, I transitioned from the corporate world into being a full-time writer of all things. And with that, as my client base grew, I moved into instructional design and from instructional design moved into facilitating the content that I was developing for various organizations. And today we work with companies like Amazon, Volkswagen, Lincoln Electric, helping develop leaders at all levels to be more effective. Well, one of the things we're excited about is this whole topic of crucial conversations. And it comes from a book a very popular book, something that a lot of uh, life coaches and others put to work. And uh, I'm excited about seeing how we can relate to this, to the world of project managers. How did you first get into this crucial conversations? Did you like read the book? Did somebody recommend it? Or how did you become a master trainer with this? Oh my goodness. So several years ago, actually, the book was recommended to me. And as I shared, so we work with all kinds of companies and what we found, especially with my background as a writer, is communication and effective communication is the foundation of any leadership skill. It doesn't matter what topic I have on the screen, conflict resolution, driving change, employee engagement, we can go through all the buzzwords. If you are not communicating well, then you are not being understood and you cannot drive any of those behaviors towards the results and the outcomes that people need. So I was always looking for how do people communicate well, because it's something that some people do inherently. It's just a skill that they have. And those are the people that we look at and we go, man, they, they can just get things hmm. done. What, what is different about them yeah. that they're just successful while I'm sitting here stuck? And it comes down to they communicate well. So with that, the next step, being a trainer and, and you know, being somebody who designs learning content, you go, okay, how do I make that a transferable skill? In my quest to identify that, somebody recommended the book, Crucial Conversations, and I read it and I said, this 
is it. Mm. I don't have to figure this out because they've done it. Why reinvent the wheel? Because they have created an approach that is so transferable, so easy to apply, and so effective that it truly does change people's lives mm. in an amazing way. So define for what is a crucial conversation? Absolutely. Crucial conversations are those moments I tell my clients, it's where you find yourself at a crossroads where you and I are having a discussion and the stakes are high. Okay. The outcome really does matter. We don't agree on what that outcome should be. And now emotions are running hot. So when you find yourself in the middle of that triangle of high stakes, very emotional and outcomes matter, that is the reality of a crucial conversation. And I can explain that all day long and you can kind of look at it in retrospect and go, oh yeah, I know what you were talking about. <laughs> that was one. <laughs> that was one. In the moment, how you tend to recognize it is your body's fight or flight response kicks in hmm. and you might not realize what's happening, but you can feel it. Those butterflies start in your stomach or um, maybe your neck starts to get hot. Your voice starts to quiver a little bit and you go, oh, something's changed something's changed. And that's your warning sign of this conversation has just turned crucial. So those are some of the indicators about, okay, these are like signs that a crucial conversation is popping up. Absolutely. Sometimes I think project managers know they're going into a crucial conversation because, oh my goodness, I have to meet with the sponsor and ask for you know a 10% budget increase, or I've got to meet with the customer and tell them that the big nasty risk actually occurred. No, we've got to deal with it. We need some extra money, some extra time, you know, something bad, that bad quality issue. There are other times, I think, where we are, we're kind of caught off guard by it. So tell us, what are some of these warning signs uh, that you can go into? So when your body senses a threat, you automatically go into the physiological fight or flight response. And what happens with that is in that moment, your brain floods your synaptic cleft with everything you've got. It's like hitting the overdrive turbo boost on a car and just all your adrenaline, all your hormones, everything. So the reaction to that is that all of these physiological changes happen. Your hands start to shake, your voice starts to shake, butterflies in your stomach, your neck can get hot. These will vary from person to person. I sweat. I tend to sweat a lot. You, you, got, you get that sweaty like response? Like I am full on working out at the Y. I mean, I'm like. Yes. And, and so when <laughs> I describe this, everybody, they, they relate because they know what theirs are, even though it might not match with everybody else yeah. in the room. And when you feel that, you start to go, oh, okay, I need to pay more attention here because, and it comes down to verbal, nonverbal communication, which we could do a whole nother podcast on. But let me ask you guys a quick question. If I had to ask what percentage of the communication that you put out in the world on a daily basis do you believe is verbal? So how much of what you say comes out of your mouth? I would say maybe about 40%. And I, I know the stats on, you know, I think I know where you're going with the nonverbal and it's way higher than you would expect. Share those. What are those way stats? Way higher. So the, the research shows us that it's approximately 7%. Is verbal. Is verbal. So only 7% of our communication is verbal. Everything else is nonverbal. It's your inflection, your expression, your hand gestures, how you fix your hair, how you dress, how you stand, all of these things. And you can actually see the impact of this. 
Have you ever sent a text or an email to somebody and all of a sudden they're mad and you have no idea why? Yeah. Yes. Okay. This is why your iPhone now has 2,000 emojis because they're <laughs> desperately trying to put nonverbal cues back into verbal communication. Have a good day. Smile, 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 smile. smile. <laughs> I really mean it. Please don't be mad. Not, you know, good luck with that. So when we go back to the idea of a crucial conversation, that physiological response, we pick up on those nonverbal cues automatically and we start to react to them even though we're not necessarily aware of them yet. And so you feel that reaction and when you train yourself, when you become skilled, that's your early warning sign to kind of back up, take stock of what's going on and go, okay, this has just become crucial. So I've had crucial conversations with people and I've kind of walked away and think to myself, well, that didn't go well. <laughs> who, who hasn't, right? Yeah. And yeah. Um, how do we achieve a constructive crucial conversation? What can I be doing to make sure I don't walk away with that feeling? Oh, goodness. There's, that's the golden question, isn't it? Well, I want to back you up just a little bit to help you understand how we get into these kind of in the first place. And this is the idea of facts and stories. Mm. Now, as we discuss facts and stories, I want to lay out right up front, neither of these are bad. We're not calling stories a bad thing. What we're doing is learning to label them for what they are. Now, what happens is we all have a path to action. And this path to action creates our emotions, which then creates our actions. So when we control these stories, we are, in essence, able to control our emotions and therefore control our actions, which helps us when we get in those crucial conversations like you were talking about, because we're able to think objectively. When emotion shows up, logic leaves. Emotion and logic cannot hang out together. So emotion shows up, logic leaves. We want to be able to control that emotion so that we can maintain a logical response and keep our focus on our original intent. So think about it. You, you said you've had those conversations where afterwards you're like, yep, that one was not what I was hoping for. <laughs> what happens is the first thing that deteriorates is not our behavior, it's our intent. So we go into this discussion. So say a project manager goes into a discussion hoping to gain agreement with a colleague about a change deadline. Hey, we really need to move this up. Well, then emotion shows up, tempers start growing, and all of a sudden, it's not about achieving that deadline anymore. Now it's about winning. Mm. It's about I'm right and you're wrong. Yeah. It, it, those huh. protective goals take over. and We yeah. lose that intent and we start responding with emotion. So facts and stories. What is a fact? Let me ask you guys. What's a fact? So I'm thinking, I'm thinking Spock. I can see him in my head. Yes. Right? He's like, I just want the facts. You know, binary, black and white, true, false. I can see it. I can hear it. I can touch yep, it. I can, I can measure test it, it and measure it. Right. These are facts. So a story then is any judgment, any assumption, anything that where we take that fact and go to the next step. So if I came in and I said, man, he was so angry today when I talked to him. Would you think that's a fact or a story? Sounds like a story. Spock says that's a story. I'd say it's a story. So why would Spock say that's a story, though? <laughs> All Spock's going to do is look at what was said. Just, you know, take the text. Don't worry about the context or the emotion or what the person was wearing or how they were using their hands or their tone, their inflection. Just ignoring all that. Just looking at the facts. Just looking at the facts. Because angry is my judgment of his behavior. 
So based on whatever he said, whatever he wore, whatever his presentation was, I determined that he was angry. He didn't come in and go, oh, Carrie, I'm so angry today. No, I said he was angry. It's all in our perception. Right. So those perceptions, those stories then drive our emotions. Let me give you an example. Let's say that I come in here today and they go, oh, Carrie is the new boss. And you're all like, well, okay. And I give everybody an assignment. And now I'm coming in every 10 minutes to check on you. Those are the facts. I'm coming in every 10 minutes to check on what you're doing. How does that make you feel? Micromanaged. Man, she's yeah. micromanaging me. She doesn't trust me. What's she thinking? Just let me do my job. Oh, wow. So how does that make you feel? My story is I'm mad. I, would I feel be disrespected. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go over your head. So now the, the story is that I'm micromanaging. I don't trust you. I'm creating a tense environment. The emotion mm. is now you're mad. Yep. You're frustrated. So I come in again. And how do you act? Ticked off. Irritated. Short, blunt. Yeah. We need to have a crucial conversation <laughs> so I was now. Say, maybe we have a crucial <laughs> conversation. All right. But, but now let's go back to the beginning of that. Hmm. Same exact set of facts. We're not going to change one fact at all. What is a completely different story you could tell yourself? We could say that Carrie is concerned for us and wants to make sure we're doing okay. She cares about the project. And so she's coming in to give support. I care. Maybe she's trying to learn more about what we're doing and kind of get up to speed. You know, here's what we're doing and here's why it's important. This is the support we need. Yeah. So I care and I'm trying to learn. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, well, now what emotions do you have? I'm not as ticked off. I'm mad. <laughs> no, I'm not threatened. Maybe she's not supportive. Threatened. Yeah, yeah. Maybe she's supportive. Maybe, maybe this could work out. Yeah, benefit of the doubt, maybe. So now how do you act? I'd be more welcoming when you came by my desk. What changed? Mm -hmm. Story. The story. story. That's it. The only thing that changed is the story. And what's unfortunate is, especially in our culture, is we have a predisposition to jump to the worst case scenario. Right. We believe the worst in people. And we allow those stories to control us. Mm -hmm. So when we start controlling them, we start controlling our outcomes. So when we walk into a crucial conversation... We need to have awareness of our stories. Yes, yes. And that's... We need to know what we're bringing into this thing. We need to know exactly what we're bringing into it. And, and we, we get into this part, portion in training and people tend to get very upset. And I warn them before we go in, <laughs> I'm like, look, at least one of you is going to be mad at me in the yeah. next 23 minutes. Okay. I'm just throwing it out there because they get very attached to those stories. Mm. We're not calling stories bad. You need stories for context, for, for the nonverbal part of why this matters. But you also need the awareness to label them for what they truly are and not let those stories become fact in your head and inadvertently control you. Okay, now you've gotten right to that point. So project managers, I think they can follow up to here and they're like, okay, I got you, Carrie. This makes sense. Now help me. How do I do it? I'm walking into this crucial conversation. It's going to be difficult, I know. And also know I can just hear the voices in my head going, you know, they're against me. They've done this in the past. They're working behind me. You know, how do, how do I put those voices? How do I quieten those? And what's the right strategy to take? So we have to remember that intent. So when I work with my project managers, I, 
I often get tickled at them because when they come into training for the first time, their goal is to control others. All right, Carrie, <laughs> you're going to teach me these skills and I'm going to get better at getting people to do what I want them to do. Because the reality totally. <laughs> in most project management situations is they are held accountable for individuals and behaviors over which they have absolutely no authority. Hmm. So I have accountability, but I have no authority. That's fun. Um, but such is the nature of the role, right. right? So we have to learn how to work within that. So they come in thinking it's about controlling the conversation. Mm -hmm. And once they really start applying the skills, they find out it's about gaining real understanding of what is actually going on, of taking the time. So you've got that person. Let's say you're a project manager in a production company and your projects always tend to hit a snag when they get to the paint department. Every time they go to paint, they hit a snag, they hit a snag. And you go down there, and as soon as you go down to the floor and you see that supervisor, you can see that he is locking up and that he is bracing for the fight before you ever even talk to him. He knows what's coming. He knows what's coming. And, and I'm sure there's a few people listening right now going, yep, I <laughs> have done that before. I know that person. Well, instead of going down there and trying to force him into behavior, maybe we need to take the time to truly understand what it's like to be on his side of the issue. Mm. Um, I've been in so many production companies where, yeah, maybe the paint department in this particular company is the bottleneck because everybody keeps sending through reworks and they've already done their job. Maybe they've done it two and three times mm. and somebody scratched it or it got all the way to finish and the customer wants it purple instead of yellow or whatever has happened. Oh, we moved a door that wasn't there before. Now we have to repaint this whole side. These, these things are the reality. So if you understand truly what's going on from that person's perspective, then you start having the right conversation. Let's talk about human nature for a little bit. This is something I love to do to all my classes. So when I am teaching, Typically, everybody has water or a soda or coffee on the table in front of them. So we're all sitting there. Everybody has something to drink. And I will tell people, I go, imagine I'm standing up here right now and I told you, I forbid you from touching that drink for the rest of this class. Yes, exactly. Bill just reaches out for the drink he doesn't even have. As soon as somebody draws a line in the sand, we are biologically predispositioned to step to that line. That's how we work. Yeah. Oh, you forbid me. Oh, really? really? That's cute. <laughs> Let me take a sip. But how many times do we take that approach and employ it professionally? Mm. We try to force things to happen instead of facilitating the outcomes that we want. And if, so if we, if we go into these conversations differently, so you say, you know, how do I quiet the voices? Mm -hmm. We quiet the voices by taking time on the front end to really think about our intent. What do I really want for this relationship? What do I really want for this project? What do I really want for this outcome? All right, now here's the kicker. If that were true, how would I be behaving right now? Mm. Because the biggest part of a crucial conversation is spending that mirror time, owning your own actions, and holding yourself accountable for your own behavior mm. before you try to change somebody else's. So is my behavior supporting my outcome? Wow. So then there's homework that we need to do. I can't just take all my amped up emotion and caffeine and walk into the paint department mm -hmm. and find that manager and Unloaded. go boom, 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 boom. 
So I need to take the time to do some research to think about kind of where I am emotionally and why, what is my goal, what's the perfect outcome, and then try to put myself in the other person's position and think about, okay, what about their perspective? And in the conversation, you only get to answer as many questions as you ask. Yep. So you want to work to deeply understand. Anybody here, if I came in and told you one time that I wanted you to change a long-held behavior from now until forever and then walked off, what are the odds that that's actually going to happen? <laughs> yeah, nada. Not, not even a possibility. But yet, how often do we do that to other people? Mm. We come in to a department over which we have no authority. We pop off with what we expect them to do differently from now on. And we walk out and expect that it's going to be gospel and followed no matter what. But yet again, we wouldn't hold ourselves to that same standard. So we want to be understood Yet we also want to seek to deeply understand the other people involved in this conversation so that we're getting to the root of the problem. We're not treating symptoms all of the time of this long-held issue. We're getting down to what is the real issue and how can we truly eradicate it. So, Carrie, as we're talking about these crucial conversations and setting this up where we walk into it, we know we need to have an important conversation with someone. And we want to understand our own emotions. We want an understanding of where the other person is coming from and what's at stake. And we know there is enough at stake. We are going to have this conversation. Yes. So how do we get to the root of it? What advice do you have? What's the root issue that we need to address? Hey, gosh, this is so important. And there, there's a couple of things here. One, a lot of times when we know we need to have this conversation, what people tend to do is they just avoid it. If I avoid yep. it long enough, it will what? It'll go away. Yeah. And It'll how's take care of that working for you? Is not I, at all. Not at all. <laughs> but yet we all keep trying it. So you reach the point where you can't ignore it anymore. And the first thing that we have to do when we talk about getting to the root of that issue is step back and they say perform CPR. Okay. Now, this is not the CPR that you all know about it, but it will make it stick in your head. And CPR is breaking the issue down into what we call content, pattern, and relationship. Now, a content issue is something that has happened once. It is something fresh. It is something new. It may be twice, and you can typically handle it with a fairly easy exchange. So, for example, let's go back to I'm the new girl here today. And you go, what, do you, what time do you guys start around here? 7.30. 7.30. Okay, so start time is 7.30, Carrie. Week two, one day I roll in about 8.15, act like no big deal. This is a new behavior. If it is addressed at this point, typically it can be nipped in the bud and we don't deal with it anymore. Well, but let's say it's not addressed. And then the next week it's 8 and 8.20 and, you know, and, and that becomes a pattern mm -hmm. over the next two, three months. So now it's not I showed up late once, it's I show up late two or three days a week, and then I just go about my business like it's nothing normal. Now that pattern, here's the danger. We didn't engage when it was content because it was uncomfortable or because they are your friend or because you're afraid that they're going to get upset. Whatever reason, all of these things that prevent us from digging in, but now the pattern has developed. And the danger here is that pattern can affect the relationship. So, Wendy, you and I work side by side. We have desks right next to each other. 
and you see me rolling in at 8.15, 8.20, all these different times, and nobody says anything. And you show up late one day, and immediately they say, now, Wendy, you know we start at 7.30. <laughs> mm-hmm. And this resentment starts to take hold. And so now Wendy and I have a problem working with each other because she feels that she's being treated unfairly, that I'm getting away with something that she doesn't, that I'm getting special treatment. So she comes to Bill and she says, you, you've got to deal with this. This is, this is a problem. Well, we've got a few issues. The relationship is now affected. And because people can see that, that's what they engage in. They want the relationship to be harmonious so that there's no hostility within the team. So they engage in that relationship issue. So Bill brings us in, he sits us down. Hey, you guys, you haven't been working well together. I need you to deal with this. But he doesn't address the issue of me coming in late. And so all of that ground that we covered on the visible of we're not getting projects done or we're not being kind to each other, whatever's happening, erases the next day as soon as I show up late. Because the root of the issue, the root of the problem is that I'm late. Now, when these issues develop, and we all know that they do, I'm sure everybody can think of at least one where something like this has happened. Now, how do you, Bill, come to me and address that I've been late? Because I've been doing it for months. So as soon as you Mm -hmm. come have this conversation with me, well, you know, Carrie, we start at 7.30. Oh, I know that. Well, you you know, you need to get here at 7.30. Well, you know, I, I do, but some days I'm a little late, but I get my stuff done. I stay late. It's never been a problem before. Mm. right? Mm. And you're going, well, actually, it's been a problem from the beginning. Oh, well, then why didn't you tell me about it then? Oh, wait a minute. Now it's somebody else's bad behavior that is being uncovered by having to have this conversation. Mm. Somebody else is now accountable. (laughs) So the the issue just grows. So with all of that, you know, you say, how do we get to the root of the issue? We deal with things quickly. We deal with things at the content level. We have the uncomfortable conversation as soon as possible when the issue is as small as possible. Mm. And we work to prevent them from growing. To me, the, the more I put off a conversation that I know I need to have, whether it's a customer or a team member, the more uncomfortable it gets. Absolutely. I mean, the, the sooner you address it, the easier it is. And the more likely that's going to be an easy correction for the other person receiving it. Because the right? behavior has become habit. Yeah, it's right. Now, it's hard to break. Now you have the accountability not only of changing the behavior, but of why mm. did you allow the behavior to develop when yeah. you knew it was a problem? Yeah. I, a quick example I was thinking as, as we were prepping for this, Carrie, I was thinking about a lot of the projects that I've done have been external customer facing. And we would have to hold each other accountable as team members to Hey, if you lose your cool in front of the client, that's not a good thing. You know, it's unprofessional, makes us look bad, et cetera, et cetera. So when we would, you know, from time to time, a team member would lose it. And we had to hold each other accountable because if you do it once and you get away with it, you may just do it again, right? Mm -hmm. And it starts to poison the water of the whole team. Yes, the bad Um, apple. People um, revert to behavior that works. Yeah. When you look at communication habits, we start developing those as soon as we're born. Mm. And we do this exercise in class where we talk about how did you get your way as a child? And we go through all these (laughs) things. And usually you have at least one person that goes, I threw a tantrum. And somebody else is like, oh, I didn't do that. And I'm like, why? Why didn't you throw a tantrum? Oh, I tried that once and it didn't work. So when it doesn't work, we, we start seeking behaviors that do. 
So people revert to behavior that works. When the behavior no longer works, the first thing somebody does is escalate. And then if it still is not successful, they will start seeking another path. But you have to be consistent with everybody. You have to hold the standards, not allow the behaviors to work and move people towards the results you need them to achieve. When I have to bring up something difficult, when I have to have that tough conversation, how do I soften the blow? How do I make it just a little bit easier for that person to swallow? So when we think about softening the blow, it's like that insincere, messy sandwich, right? Yes. Oh, Wendy, your hair looks amazing today. Can we talk? Oh my goodness, Yana. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the South. Um, when I moved to the South, it, it was always amazing to me how you could say, bless your heart and wrap it with anything. And it, yep. it was like, like, bless their heart. They're as dumb as a box of rocks. And I'm like, that's, that's not a thing. Okay. Um, and But yet somehow we feel like the insincere compliment is going to make it easier. So instead, what I talk about is one, you're always going to be facilitating strong relationships with people. That's baseline. But even if you're not, when you have those crucial conversations, we're going in with a different approach to achieve a different outcome. And you know, this is a 16-hour class. This is a whole book. This is a huge training. But we talk about, look at how you're approaching somebody. You know, we tend to come in all fired up and, oh, you know, I'm going to hold you accountable. When instead, we tell people to slow down, watch the cadence of their voice, and work to facilitate safety right from the very beginning. And what we mean by safety is encouraging dialogue, encouraging that back and forth where I can share my true meaning only because I am willing and even seeking to understand your true mm. meaning. So you mentioned going back to my, my uh, problem with the paint department. <laughs> so instead of me just going and unloading on, you know, Fred, the manager there, you, you already said, I need to come in with questions, you know, think about my own perspective and then ask questions of Fred, what are you guys dealing with? You know, tell me more of what's your number one thing that you wish you could get rid of? You know, what's yeah. the biggest problem on your plate? And, and, and I tell people, you don't always around. have to barge in the front door. You mm -hmm. can walk in the side and typically get a better result. So if right. we don't come at Fred and go, you missed the deadline again. You got one job, one job. <laughs> Right. Yep. I have I have a project manager that actually admitted to me that that's what he used to do. He also admitted to me that he was famous for sending emails and then walking down the hall almost before it had arrived and was like, did you get my email? Bing. And then it shows up. <laughs> um, but it, so instead of coming out like that, we come out and we go, hey, tell me about your week. What's going on? You know, look at what's going on in their world and try to understand what's going on in their world and understand the power of that. So there's a, it's kind of gimmicky, but it works beautifully exercise that I give all of my participants. And I tell them, I'm like, who goes out to eat? And everybody's hand goes up. And I tell them the next time you go out to eat, I want you to ask for the manager at the end of your meal. Now, what happens when you ask for the manager? It's usually a complaint. What's wrong? Yeah. yeah. The waiter, the waiter's yeah. going to be scared. They're yeah. scared. You see that body language mm -hmm. change? They oh, stiffen no. up. Nothing's wrong. I just want to talk to the manager. Manager comes up. What's the first thing they say? What's wrong? What's wrong? That was your meal. Nothing's wrong. And I want you to look at them. Look at how they are physically braced for the blow they think you're about to deliver. They'll be uptight, shoulders locked, jaw sometimes a little clenched. Now, what do you think I want you to say? Do you think I want you to complain? I really enjoy my meal. Your weight staff's outstanding. Yes. Hey, 
you guys are slammed tonight. We had a great experience. Thank you so much. And watch what happens because that person who was physically braced for that blow they thought you were about to deliver will melt. Typically they come down, they put one arm on the table, they lean over, they start talking to you. They're like, oh man, thank you so much. You know, we are short staffed tonight or our food delivery didn't get here. One of our ovens is down. The grill's not right. Whatever it is that's going on that nobody out front even realizes. And they feel so relieved that Mm. somebody is actually seeing them, actually seeing the effort they put in, that the whole conversation changes. I've had people get free dessert. I've had people get chased out of restaurants for free barbecue sauce. But the impact, and when you see the impact of being able to change the conversation, all they did was change their approach. That's it. And the whole conversation shifts. Carrie, how do we create safe environments? Let's say I'm a project manager. I've got my team. I've got my customer, my management above me. How do I create a safe environment? You create the reality where you truly want to know and understand what the other person is facing. You make it apparent, you listen, you slow down. You only get to seek as many of your wants, things on your list, as you are willing to ask for on theirs. Mm. To truly understand what is going on, get to that root. And when you do that, people know when you care. People don't care what you know until they know that you care. And when they know that you care, they will start responding and they will feel safe enough to show you their true meaning. How do we move from that? Now, we've had this conversation. We've got things out in the open. And how do we take that into results? How do we get something productive coming out of that conversation where everybody is at peace with the decision? Absolutely. Now, this is where we go from talking to acting. And we want to lay out those action steps because this is that crucial point where everybody is on the same page, you have agreement, finally we're gonna to move towards the same goal at the same time, not quite. Hmm. So instead, we go further and we start laying out very specific action steps. Okay, so we have agreed this is the goal. The goal is to move up our time frame by 20%, ask for an extension by an additional 20% by the client, that will get us to that 40% point that we need in order to achieve the goal here and get the project out in full and on time. Okay, well, who is going to reset the internal time frame? Who is going to work those schedules? What is the deadline for getting that done? How should I follow up with you to see if there's anything that you need from me or anything that I need to be doing? Okay, I'm going to reach out to the client. I'm going to do that by four o'clock today. By four o'clock tomorrow afternoon, I'm going to get with you as to their full and complete response, hopefully earlier. If you don't hear from me by four o'clock, this is how I would like for you to respond. So you set those very clear steps, who is going to do what, by when, and then how and when do we follow up. And if you can do that and do it well, Not only does everybody leave the conversation understanding what action means, we're not guessing. This is a huge hole in a lot of conversation. We we leave gray area for people to guess. But you also set the foundation. If any of those goals are not met, now you can have a very safe accountability discussion. You know, hey, Bill, yesterday we talked about you would have me the schedule change by four o'clock. It's 430 and I haven't heard from you. Can you help me understand what's going on here? 
So you have the expected behavior versus the observed behavior equals a question. This is the one formula I can give you for conversation. It's not usually this cut and dry, but expected plus observed equals a question, always. And if you set the actions properly, the accountability is inherent and that conversation is easy to have. Excellent advice. Thank you, Carrie. This has been really good. This has been a, a conversation that I think is going to help many people. I hope going so, forward. definitely. I really do. If our listeners want to know more about Crucial Conversations or want to get in touch with you, what's the best way that they can do that? So Crucial Conversations, I would always say read the book, guys. It's on Amazon. You can get it. Amazon Prime, two days. We say that all the time around <laughs> our office. You can find me at any time at CatalystNorthTraining.com and you can reply to my team or reach out to my team and we are happy to help you reach those goals no matter what they are. We tell people we help them find success as they define it. We'll do just that. Excellent. Hey, we've got something for you. We really appreciate you taking the time to come into our studio and record this. And we are hoping that you're a coffee drinker. Always. Who doesn't drink Wonderful, coffee? because we have this manage this mug that Aww. holds copious amounts of coffee How or what kind. other liquid you'd put in there. And uh, hopefully that will help be a reminder of your time with us. Thank you. So you guys give me presents on air and like make me all <laughs> grateful and stuff. Thank you so much. It's been a blast coming down here and hanging out with you guys this morning. We've really enjoyed it. Thank you Thank for having you, us. Thank you, Carrie. Thanks for listening, folks. You just earned some free PDUs by listening to this podcast. So to claim them, go to VelociTeach.com and choose Manage This Podcast from the top of the page. Click the button that says Claim PDUs and then follow the steps. That's it for this episode of Manage This. Thank you for joining us. We hope you'll tune back in on April 7th for our next episode. Until then, keep calm and manage this. <laughs>